Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, We're starting a new series, uh, just a three-part series in Romans 12 and 13, and we're calling it Romans Road, Um, and that's in reference to several of the series that we've been doing throughout this year have been focused on the the journey, that, that Christian journey that we are called on, and Romans, the book of Romans is known for being very complex and Uh, deep theologically, but in these later chapters, we find the application of some of that complexity that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to look at the title of Romans Road, Worshiping with Our Bodies, what it means to be embodied people, and that centers in on some of the lines that we see, the first couple of lines on being living sacrifices. So let's open to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If yours is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've been a parent for a couple of months now, but I haven't really brought up Annika that much as part of my resolve not to just bring in family examples all the time. But today is Father's Day, so I'm going to give myself a bit of a free pass. One of the great things about having someone that's really tiny, that doesn't really talk that much, is that I can just talk freely with her. And sometimes uh, my thoughts and what I'm, what's going through my mind gets a little abstract. Uh, I found myself one day uh, just appreciating the fact that she has skin, that her, her skin helps me know where she stops and where the rest of the world begins. It gives an outline for her body, that the place where she is. 
It gives me a place to actually direct my love for her. However she develops, I will always have this place where I can bring my love. The idea of uh, our skin holding us together, that, that might not be technically true. I'm pretty sure those of you with a medical background might not like that definition, but there, there's a theological truth that's embedded in that. Our skin delineates the difference between where we are and where we are not. We are people with bodies. There's this inseparable and inescapable truth that Annika is connected to her body, holding her as, as tiny as she is. I have a very specific direction where I can bring my love. If, if, if I go one foot to one side or a foot to the other, it's not towards Annika. It's just there in my arms. Uh, and this is what it, part of what it means to be embodied people. It's that simple recognition that we are limited and these limitations aren't actually all bad. There's blessings in these limitations. It gives us specific direction and specific space. These bodies that we have, we proclaim as part of God's good creation. God created us this way. And our passage draws our attention to this, that, that we have bodies. Only it says it in a slightly different way. Uh, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. The passage speaks towards the, the utility of our, our bodies, what, what our bodies can do, and that is bringing our true worship before God. And take note uh, that this is not talking about a, a body-spirit sort of divide here. This is not a rejection of our bodies for a spiritual benefit or claiming our bodies as something bad or less than. This would have been foreign to the, the Hebrew mindset that Paul was writing from uh, as he wrote the book of Romans. The Hebrew mindset would have seamlessly connected these things. The things that we do with our bodies is worship. And that might throw us a little bit off, or a word that could throw us off a little bit is the word sacrifice. What does it mean that we offer our bodies then as a living sacrifice? And I think often we get that, that picture, that part perhaps wrong, thinking that we don't need to care about our bodies because these are the things that are being offered for something spiritual. But the intent of the passage is actually the other way around. It's the elevation of our bodies, the space that we are given, as the very space of worship, the very things that we bring before God. The eating, sleeping, and walking around life. Uh, this is actually how um, the message puts it in this passage. In translating Romans 12, uh, Eugene Peterson tries to preserve the meaning, what is behind this, and he puts it this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, 
your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and, and place it before God as an offering. The emphasis in here is that we're going to take the things that we do in our day-to-day and bring this as offering before God. I don't have it with me today, uh, but I recently picked up a book called uh, Theology of the Ordinary. Uh, There was a couple of things that drew me to this book. One, um, it's tiny. It's probably like 60 pages long, and it's just... It, lo- it looked like something I could read cover to cover. I haven't gotten all the way through yet. Um, the second thing was that it was written by Julie Canlis. Uh, Julie Canlis is a fantastic uh, Reformed theologian who's written a lot on uh, John Calvin that I really appreciate. Uh, but the third, and perhaps more importantly, is that it deals with the ordinary. It, it looks at what, what is there any value that Christians speak of about ordinary day-to-day living? And this is an important thing because Christians sometimes get obsessed with trying to be impressive, uh, trying to maximize the potential that we have, trying to prove our own worth. Uh, We get caught up into the same trap as the world around us. Uh, Canlis points this out in her, her book. Uh, noting that her acquaintances are often reading books with titles like Radical uh, by David Platt, Crazy Love by Simon Chan, uh, books with titles like Relentless or Impact or Fervent. I threw in some extra um, pizzazz there. Uh, These different titles show a trend in Christian marketing that says, if you're doing anything in your faith that, that isn't big, impactful, and radical, then it's not worth anything. That, that really our call to Christianity is a call to be extraordinary. Um, and Canlis calls this kind of the cult of the extraordinary. That when we enter into this, that we come out exhausted, trying to prove ourselves over and over again. In the cult of the extraordinary, there is little place for the frail, for the suffering, for the bodies with limitations. We think that there's something wrong with us, perhaps, if what we're experiencing is day-to-day and ordinary. With our eyes only open towards the extraordinary, we can remove the everyday goodness of our everyday life. Uh, So as I picked up uh, the theology of the ordinary, I I wasn't really searching for sermon material. Uh, I was following up on something else. But the book actually began, that that first page pointed me to the message translation here. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. The, The passage that we are in today pushes back against this sense of not enoughness that we might feel in our day-to-day walk. It's a sense that you can never be enough because you have to be doing something exceptional, something extraordinary for it to be true worship of a God that is so big. But Romans 12 flips that around. It says, rather than forcing us to be extraordinary, 
It says that we are to take ordinary things and infuse them with meaning, that we accept the limitations of our bodies. Not only that, we, we embrace them. We see the limits that we have as the very space that we are called to bring the glory of God in the little ways that we can. Remembering or attending to the ordinary can actually be uh, one of the most countercultural things that we do as Christians and as a church. Remember uh, the books that I was just showing there. Uh, there was that one called Radical uh, by David Platt. Well, a contemporary reformed theologian named Michael Horton wrote a book in direct response to it, calling it Ordinary. Um, he targets Platt's book directly in the advertising by using the same color scheme and including radical in the subtitle, a sustainable faith in a radical and restless world. He states his concern is that we put pressure on ourselves often simply to do something extraordinary, when what we really need to be doing is to do the ordinary things better. We miss God in the daily stuff, he says, because we, we look for God only in the extraordinary. We're so busy for miraculous signs that we forget to see the, the true places where God's grace is in these ordinary things, in our, our coming towards scripture, in our prayer, in our churches. That our calling isn't competing with the culture around us for being who can be the, the most extraordinary, but the biggest witness that we can give, the strongest witness that we can give, is living into the ordinary ways and doing them well, infusing them with meaning. Uh, and, and this problem that, that we have, in contrast to our culture, isn't anything new. This is something that the early church would have experienced. They were surrounded by a Roman culture that, that saw our bodies as weak, as, as something that we needed to transcend. Instead of these weak and slow bodies, we wanted a God that could kind of pluck us up and, and make us instantly better. Some Christians bought into this, and they looked towards Jesus as an escape from themselves. They saw Jesus as a way of discovering a higher and exclusive path that led to sudden change and enlightenment, instant results and instant change rather than growth. But following the Jesus of scriptures does not push us outside of our limitations, but calls us to live redemptively within. So it doesn't call us to live outside of ourselves, but calls us to live redemptively as God has created us. We are to use our bodies, the things that we do in the day-to-day, -day, in our very limited ways, as holy and good, pleasing things that we bring before God in our worship. Now, the challenge that I'm finding in this passage is exactly what Beth Van Campen mentioned in her story. She brought up the reminder that Jesus calls us to follow him where we are. Jesus doesn't demand perfection from us to be part of this community or, or a particular story of radical change. We are called for growth in faithful day-to-day -day living. And we can put pressure on ourselves to transcend the mundane, the regular, or the routine, 
Uh, we can have a sense in which th these things that we have, that this isn't suitable offerings before God. We're so easily convinced through the liturgies of our culture, through the values that our culture keeps on pouring on us, that we have to do something big in order for it to be important. We're often left seeking the instant and supernatural change that will solve everything rather than embarking on this journey that Christ calls us on. So here, in the passage, the invitation is something that's a lot more challenging. Rather than hoping for a way out of our current experiences, we have to seek and find where God is present here. Rather than being lifted out of your context, we have to see how God is in the day-to-day -day things, how we can bring these as true offerings of worship before God in our eating, in our sleeping, and walking around life. So one of the images in here is that the image of sacrifice could still be a bit of a barrier in understanding. Um, one thing that we want to make clear of is that this isn't an atoning sacrifice that we are doing. This is more parallel to a, a thanksgiving offering. Uh, the atoning offerings are, are ones that were done in the Old Testament to, to show that they were made right with God. Uh, but we know that through Jesus and through Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice that we have already been made right with God. We don't need to do any particular sacrifice to get God's particular approval. What the type of sacrifice that this mirrors is the offering, and that's probably why Eugene Peterson turned to the language of offering. It's a thanksgiving offering before God. Uh, the type of offering that we see descriptions in the Old Testament of God kind of standing over it and enjoying the pleasant aroma that comes before him. We remember here, Jesus has paid the price and as salvation has been given freely as a gift. Uh, but, but something in us resists that. We want to prove ourselves in, in the, something big and extraordinary. Uh, we see the glamour of the world and, and we want to do the same. We think that it must be exciting and always changing for it to be real. But our, our passage continues with this line, do not be conformed to the present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, this, this is expanding on what it means to be living sacrifices, acknowledging that the world around us is going to push. It, it's going to try to shift where our values are, and it's going to take an active work, an active work of our imaginations and our renewing of our minds through God's grace to see the, how these day-to-day -day things can actually be true acts of worship, true acts of resisting the powers of sin and evil and death and decay. When Paul talks about the danger of being conformed to the world, he talks about passive tense. He, he is letting us know that the world forms you in a subconscious way. When we don't pay attention, we walk off the altar. We forget our lives are even supposed to be sacrifices. As is often quipped about the text, 
Um, the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. We move around. We don't consciously choose to, but, but we seek ways that seem easier. Rather than face the challenge of our embodied and limited ways of engaging with God through his world, we seek an easy way out and we miss the beauty that we are invited into. There's something special about where you are in this limited time and space. So t take that back then uh, to that picture of, of Annika. When, when I'm holding her, I have a specific place where I can direct my love. A and I do this as a person. I bring my proximity in my holding of her. Uh, she doesn't necessarily understand the things that I say to her, or at least she doesn't seem to. But the expression of love comes in my holding and the cradling and the bouncing. And this is what we are called to do with God's world. God has gifted us in our very limited space and said, this is the way that you can bring blessing into the world. I'm sending you to engage with it, bring out its beauty, water the plants, change the diapers, wash the dishes, make the bed, do the laundry, go for walks, do all that you do as an offering of praise. Now, I, we could finish there, uh, but the, the passage does go on, so I do want to look at a second part. What happens when we apply this understanding of our bodies, that our bodies are given a particular place to serve and as worship in the world, and apply this to Paul's next image as the church, as the body of Christ? That the church, too, is given a very particular time and a very particular place. And we might wonder, what are the places that living hope is called to be a blessing where it is? When I hold Annika, I know how to direct my love towards her, that it's not a foot to the left or a foot to the right. And we might be thinking then for living hope. What is not to the left, not to the right, but what is currently present where we are? I want to offer three different spaces that we can be exploring. First is just recognizing right here, uh, the church building, uh, 34631 Old Claiborne Road. Uh, this is our address and our very specific place. We, we are in a particular community with particular neighbors. And, and the, the holding of, of Annika, that bringing that blessing in that very specific space can look like the, the ways in which we engage with this community, whether it's serving breakfast at the Margaret Stenerson School in the mornings, or whether it's hosting things like the Harvest Party, where we can bring community together and give a safe place for them to celebrate. That's a way in which we can be attentive to the place and to this space. Uh, second is recognizing that this isn't um, kind of the, the older days where everyone lived right next to their church and you were all walking distance, or a lot of people were walking distance. A lot of people commute into churches and then they go from there. 
and they go to their varied spaces. So living hope as a community is also sent out to varied places throughout Abbotsford and into Chilliwack and beyond as these places too that they can be a blessing. And, and thirdly, uh, there's the place of our, our digital space. Um, I was just taking a course uh, at, through Calvin's seminary, I was auditing it, and we had some conversations on what does it mean to inhabit our digital space as well? Uh, recognizing that we are present on YouTube, we are on Instagram and Facebook, we have a website, we deal a lot of things through email. How do we steward these spaces well? How can these be places of blessing? In these three ways, we are called to serve. Not in extraordinary ways, but ordinary. We don't need to be extraordinary for it to be infused with meeting. The, the media booth, the, the flipping of pancakes, the setting up for an event, the planning for Sunday school, the greeting of people as they come in, these can be the acts of worship that we bring before God. Ways that might seem ordinary, and we transform them into praise. So as we look ahead to a year of ministry, are there places where you are called to take your gifts, your particular place, your ordinary presence, and transform it as praise? How can we do this in the church, but also in the day-to-day, -day, bringing what could seem to be mundane as a holy offering before God? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you have given the ultimate sacrifice, that you did the atoning work to pay for our sins, that what we bring before you is an offering of praise. I thank you for our bodies, for the limited spaces that you give us, the places where we can direct our love, places where we can show fidelity and faithfulness. Give us renewed imaginations, that can see the little things that we do as acts of worship. May we take our everyday, ordinary life and offer it before you as worship and praise for your goodness. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.